This is Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson. For today's show, I've compiled some excerpts from listening projects done over the years. These excerpts are all regarding World War II, and the excerpts are from interviews done with Don Nelson, Toratinas, and Erling Husvik. Everyone in this community has a story. The Petersburg Listening Project seeks to honor our common ground and our diversity by creating an archive of oral histories. We encourage people to inquire and listen to each other's life experiences by setting aside time for an interview, which will be recorded and saved for posterity at the public library. In this excerpt, Don Nelson tells Bev Hammer about being in Petersburg on Pearl Harbor Day and the blackouts during the months that followed. You were just a kid during those World War II years, and you must have some memories of what went on in town. And tell us a little bit about the town and, and what was going on. I was 10 years old when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, and of course that remains very vivid in my mind. Exactly every minute I was doing on December 7th, 1941, we had a heavy snow. It was on a Sunday. We had a heavy snowfall. And I was out shoveling snow. My folks were in church. And a neighbor a girl came by and said the Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor. And the uh, Standard Oil tanker was in port at that time, discharging petroleum products. And when my dad came back from church, I can remember him and the captain of the tanker conferring on what to do. In those days, there was no or very limited long-distance phone service, so they couldn't contact the, um, the, uh, office, the Standard Oil office in Seattle. So they didn't know what to do. They realized, and at that time, it was, it was more or less mild panic up here. We didn't, nobody knew uh, what the Japanese attack would consist of, but they did know one thing. We had to get that oil tanker out of town. So uh, my dad and the captain of the Alaska Standard figured the best thing to do was to cut loose from the dock and head out into Frederick Sound around Cape Fanshawe and jog until they could get orders from San Francisco on where to hide the tanker. So that was done, and that was on December 7th. Uh, December 8th, that night, uh, Petersburg reacted real quickly to the crisis. There was an instantaneous blackout, and I can remember walking to school the next morning uh, December, Monday, December 8th at 8 o'clock, and of course in the winter it's pitch dark. I usually walk to school with my neighbor friend, Darlene Roosevelt, and uh, the town was completely black. And uh, as we were walking through Singley Alley, some of the authorities in town were rounding up the local Japanese community. There was quite a Japanese community in 1941 in Petersburg, uh, mostly employed as shrimp pickers with uh, Earl Omer's Alaska Glacier Seafood Company. And I think they were finally lodged that night in the jail till they could figure out what to do with them. Petersburg was blacked out. Uh, very, of course, in those days, there were very, very few cars in town, so that was not a problem driving. The cars that did drive had a blue cellophane over their headlights, the stores downtown remained open, 
and they all put false plywood uh, over their entrances and over their windows so they could have lights on. But the town was completely blacked out. The Listening Project is waiting for your story. Contact the Public Library to learn more. In this excerpt, Toratinas tells Heidi Lee about living in Norway during the Nazi occupation and how she would watch the warships from both sides entering the fjord. Was there some story about the Bismarck? Was that right before oh, you left? No, that was uh, uh, in the uh, first part of the war, uh, war which was in 19... Uh, what was it? 1939? Nine. That sounds about right. Yeah. The day before I turned 15. Oh, some, no, we had turned 15. And then I, the beginning of the war was a little hectic. There was a little warship, a Norwegian one. And they, there was a kind of suspicious ship that had come in during the night. And they, they, they uh, shot two torpedoes into that boat. And uh, it took all day before it sunk. But after they had shot that boat, they, they, they took the warship, the Norwegian warship came up to fjord, and here comes all the, a whole bunch of uh, German planes in, and they just really blasted that boat. So I don't think there was a living soul aboard. And we stood up on the hill and watched this. Wonder we didn't get hurt ourselves. I mean, I was 15, and my younger sister was nine years older, and we watched this like was nothing. And so then the, my dad decided we better move into fjord. There was nothing going. There was just a, on a coast more that they did it. And then that was the first part of the war for me and my family. And then, and then, and then after a week out in the, living out in the cabin, well, uh, my mother and my sis, older sister and her little boy and me, we came back to town, and uh, and then and we hadn't been in there very long, and then woke up in the, in the morning, and there was all these soldiers in the out in the yard. Good <laughs> grief! And we didn't know what they had been doing, but then this this Bismarck had come in the area, and and it was kind of wounded, so they so they they were protecting it. They had put guns and everything around in, in, in our, on our property. Guns and light, you know, you know, what do you call it? Light deals to see if there was a plane. They expected the... Spotlights? Yeah. And they, they expected the, the, uh, the English or the ally. Is that what they called the them? Yeah. But it did, and luckily for us, that didn't happen. We were sitting right in the middle of it, if they had come in. But, but that was the only scary part of the war for me. What's your story? Share it with a listening project. Sign up at 772-3349. If you are just joining us, this is Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. In this next excerpt, Erling Husvik tells Sarah Wagstaff a particularly harrowing tale of survival and courage during a typhoon, Japanese invasion, and missile attack, ultimately sinking his vessel, the USS Hull, 
during his time serving in World War II in the South Pacific. What's your most memorable time aboard the boat? <laughs> well, the end. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, well, I, I, I was in uh, eight, eight, eight uh, invasions. You know, see, you, you, see, that's what I've been bunking with here with one of my daughters. They get all my stars and bars and time in the fleet. <laughs> you get it. You, 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 well, I got it around here or something. But, you know, you, a, a shadow box. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, we, I haven't, haven't sent it off yet. And this year, this is a shipmate of mine bought this for me. And see. What do some of these mean? Well, it's a purple heart. Mm-hmm. And that's a. Pacific, there, and, and see. This is a ball cap, and these are all. Um, what do you call them? Just recognitions or awards? Rip, uh, uh, medals. Medals, uh-huh. And and that's just World War Two in the Pacific, and I think maybe that one's a Philippine. I got one medal from the Philippines. But. And on the ball cap, let's read it. It says USS Hole. DD-533, what does that mean? Well, that's a destroyer, and they were all numbered. Uh-huh. And then the next one that came out of the yard was named, uh, was 3-4. Three, okay. You know, and then Taffy-3. Well, that, that's, you know, when you went on an invasion or something, they had all these fighting units. Some of them were huge, you know, and then they break it down, you know, and Taffy-3 was more or less... Well, we when we well when we were going to go to the Philippines, we first we went to, to a place called Manus, and it was a huge harbor there on the Admiralty Islands, and it was big. And well, they, they even had a, a floating dry dock that they towed out from the states that was built out of wood uh-huh. there, and and the ships were leaving that harbor for three days. Before we did, you know, I mean, there, well, from from here to Fanshawe was where the, it was that far to go in the harbor. Because wow. I, I didn't, well, I did in a sense, but 24 hours before you set sail for someplace, then you got the last orders and you had somebody else that was assigned with a whaleboat or or one of them landing craft to run around to all the ships that were staying Taffy three three and give them the final orders. And I and they I had to run that whaleboat all that day. I had about I about cooked myself a nice hot day, you know. <laughs> and we were running around to all these different ships and giving them giving them their last orders. Mm-hmm. And then we. We went from there, uh, went to the Philippines, and we, they were supposed to start invading on the 17th of December. But we got in the typhoon. Oh, I was going to give you something. That one, some of my shipmates put together. What's that? Well, that's, 
that, that you know, we got in the typhoon and, and what have you before we got to the Philippines. And, uh, and, and that's part of that, but being in a typhoon, part of it is all, all the monkey business before they sunk us. Wow. Yeah, would you talk about that time a little bit? Talk, start with the typhoons. Start with the... Yeah, boy, that was something else again. They, I, they said it, it blew 130 miles an hour. And, uh, but that, but that was, the height of the storm was like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, nobody was on deck. Or, you know, you were all down. <clears throat> and then, when daylight come, see, we, we'd go on the invasion, we'd have so many people that they had, uh, like, you know, crates. Like, you remember when bananas came in a crate? Well, we'd get spuds and apples and other things in crates like that. And so then we had them lashed on, on, the, de- on the deck house out on, you know, on the deck. You know, and so they were breaking loose or had broken loose. And so they sent some of us out there to try to gather gather up and secure things. But, you know, they didn't have any de- decent lines. You either had a hawser like this mm-hmm. or you had a little clothesline thing, you know. And so we were out there. And by, and this was in the morning after, you know, just like, say, 8, 9 o'clock in the morning. And the I never, oh, I've never been in anything like, the swell was just huge. I mean, like mountains coming after you, wow. you know, and, and what have you. Crashing over the deck of the boat. Or? Well, it did, some of it would, you know, but they, you know, it was about two, three months after that took place that old, good old Halsey, took a bunch of ships out into a, into a typhoon, and they lost three destroyers that actually sunk oh. in a typhoon. When when this happened, were you just out in the open ocean, or were you tied up oh, we were out. We'd left oh. Manus, and or we were on our way to the Philippines. Yeah, we were out in the ocean. Wow. In the, probably, I, I don't know, but maybe that's part of the Philippine Sea, or I don't know what they call it, actually. Mm-hmm. So you survived the typhoon, and then you were scheduled, or you were headed to the Philippines. Right. Near, you were near Lady Gulf, right? Right. That's where we were going. See, we were we were uh, going to screen. I think it was three three carriers, and that's what those little carriers. And there was three three destroyers, and and two. Two D, two three Ds. That article tells you what mm-hmm. the task order that we were in actually. And so all we were doing was screening them carriers and just you know air patrol, sub patrol. That's what we were doing, and they were flying to Lady and you know doing whatever they did there, you know. And so we were. What the hell does it says it or something? We, I think we were six, 60 miles offshore from Samara, which is a kind of long, 
near old island here. And, and see the Japs, they, they knew we were coming. And so they gathered up the fleet they had in, in Borneo. Well, see, Borneo was where they, they kept a lot of them because that's where they got their fuel from. And then some of them were, were at, uh, what the heck, that big island just north of Indonesia. Anyhow, some of them came from there and what have you. And they were, came around and came through a narrow place in the Philippines there. And then they had another fleet that came and went further south and came up towards Saragoy Straits, you know. And so they were going to come up there at night, and this other fleet was going to go the next day. That's the ones that got us. If I remember my history right, they sent, like, there was the bulk of the Japanese fleet right at you, right? Or well, they, they sunk. See, the Japs had two big battleships that had 18-inch guns on them, and they sunk one of them when the Japs were kind of come through the islands to get to where we were. Mm-hmm. And so and so, then they, they, they got them so bad uh, on their air attack, I think. I think they got that that battleship and and another and a pretty good sized cruiser that day, you know. And so the Japs turned and like they were going to leave. Well, then when it got dark, they came back. And so that morning, see, like we were on general quarters half an hour before sunrise and half an hour after, and so. I was was down below, and I didn't go to breakfast. I don't know why. I went to my bunk for something because I, whatever. And so then they rang general quarters again, and and so I went topside. And as soon as I got topside, I I think somebody pointed it out to me, but you could see the smoke from them, you know. Wow. And that, that article says that. They started shelling us, or at us, I should say, when they were 17 miles away. Yeah, that was a bad day. <laughs> what, what was your first reaction? What did you say or do? Okay, I reacted to oh, God. <laughs> you know, that, well, that's what you were there for, you know. Well, there was nothing you could do about it. You you know, you you were, that's what we were trained for. We were there, you know, to, to do what we did. Did you feel like your training came flooding back, or did you feel like you had to take a few minutes to everything to settle no, in? And I'm, I'm going to take a few minutes for nothing. Because I, I was a machine gunner on, on a 20 millimeter, you know, and that that's like a BB gun, you know, that... It, I, I don't know. I, I I don't know if it would reach over a thousand yards, you know. And then the next armament we had was forty forty millimeters, and they were uh, two guns side by side, and and they were better. They were pretty good anti-aircraft guns, you know, especially with if they came in in came at you from sea level, you know. 
But they were shelling you from miles away, right? Yeah. Well, I did. Well, and see the old Thomas, the guy that was their skipper from the time the ship was new. Well, he had just been promoted, and so he was in charge of that whole task force. And but he didn't move off the hole; he stayed on the hole. And so his what the heck was it? It's something about small boys swallowed me and we headed for the depths. <laughs> straight, straight at him. Oh. And then we, and then it was a, a big rain squall, and man, that was that it was just like heaven. Because <laughs> everything stopped. They, they, there was no incoming and there was no outgoing. You know, but soon, soon we just broke out of that, and then it was hell to pay. You know, and and I forget now. I don't know that article said. Tell us how far they were when they fired their fish. We see we had ten torpedoes in two different well assemblies. They were up on the deck house, you know, main deck, and then you had the deck house, and the torpedoes were up there, you know, and you could train them, and you could well, you could go up or down with them, and what have you. And we fired five fish, and and uh, I don't know whether we ever hit anything that time. But the second time, then we got into. I know we were. I think I, we were six thousand yards away when they fired a fish, and uh, then I think they got a heavy cruiser. Had you been hit by the shells already? Or? Oh yeah. Yeah, many times. But when we let go of the first fish, then we turned, of course, to get out of there. Then they. They hit, uh, well, they hit up forward, and uh, they got the, the communications outfit. They got that and what have you. And then, well, from then on, you know, actually, we took 40 hits from six inch and up. And uh, a lot, some of them, because, see, they were, the Japs were firing uh, uh, armor piercing bullets, you know, shells, you know, and they'd go right through one side and out the other. Wow. <laughs> they was, you know, they were, they were thin, you know, they were fat. They're built for speed. Mm. That's what they build them for. But, uh, then they got the after engine room, and, that, and they after, I think they got the after fire room too, not too long after that. And then, of course, if you were, if you was in a fire room, you got cooked, you know. And some of them got out of the engine room. But then, what did you do? Huh? Then what did you do? What did you do? I don't know. Well, what I did, I was back there on that twenty, which was useless, you know. And and so they were. So we had. Uh, I forget how how much they weighed. But they were pretty big. They were about this big around in the depth charges, and they were. And we were make or not. The depth charges were there, and then we had some smoke generators. And before we ever started, before that way, we were. They were laying smoke and and laying, uh, you know, they, they, that was white phosphorus. 
came out of them. And then, then they, uh, you know, these boilers was up, up in, you know, down in the fire room. And they had holes in there. And then they had, the burners were, well, say as long as that table. And they, then they had holes in the, in the firebox. And you, they'd throw them in there and just turn the valve and the, the oil was fired in. Everything was under pressure, you know. And so when, when things got exciting, you knew something was going on. You could hear it in the stacks because it would be going boom, 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 boom. And when they were putting them, you know, get speed on her, you know. Mm-hmm. And then if one of them was way high up, and that's where you got the black smoke. And that was just big black smoke. Billy. So what, how long did that battle last? Bef- and then when, what happened when you were eventually sunk? Well, they filled her full of holes, <laughs> and then, well, I, I was back on the stern there, and they hit that the smoke generator, and that white phosphorus was flying around there, so I said, the hell with this, and so I went forward, and there was a, a kind of a workshop where the torpedo men had that they used to keep their stuff, and so I went in there, and there was several of us there, and then... Me, me and this other guy decided, well, we were going to go for, forward and see what was going on. And it was, there was plenty going on there. But anyhow, and we got on the port side, and, and I knew there was a life raft there. And so we went over there, and we were there for a little bit. And then we said, well, we better wait. Nobody's told us to go overboard yet, you know. And so we left there. And I don't remember exactly where I went after that, but then I decided to go back and see, get on to where that life raft was. Well, when I got there, it was gone. Oh, no. <laughs> and then see, we had some things they called floater nets, and they and they were on the stack. I think I don't know how many, but must have had about four of them on board anyhow. And what they were, you you seen the same corks, you know? Okay, they they were just made out of just like that, only they were black. Actually, they used that kind of material on the scenes around here after the Second World War, hmm. and and they just were solid like this on a pipe, and then then it was they had ropes that went like this, you know, and it would sit just a net that floated, mm-hmm. you know. And so anyhow, and so when I went back the second time, the raft was gone, and I looked it down. She she was down by the stern end, and water clear up amidships. And so I took off my shoes and left. <laughs> and everybody else was getting off the boat. What kind of survival gear did you have with you? Well, I had to go on them keep on life jackets but they were useless 20 24 hours and, and you couldn't lift one you know but there it, it was it was nice when we were we was on a raft for 50, over 50 hours and so during the days you know you could tear the cover off the peacock 
and dip it in the water to let put it on top of your head, and it was that was great for that. <laughs> then how did, did you get picked up, or what happened? Well, I I got a hold of a piece of drift. I can't remember exactly what it was, and I seen these guys a little ways away, and so I paddled myself over there, and and I think that. I've read, I, well, I've read about it someplace. There was, I think there was 70 people that got on that. We had a, I think we had a floater net and two rafts. And that floater net, it was actually quite a few people could get on it, but they were the pits to get on because they, it would, you know, we were on the water, and so they moved and they just pinched the Jesus out of you, you know. <laughs> But they were they were all right though, and so we we finally got a hold of I, I think maybe it might have came with a wrap a, a tarp, and so we put the tarp over top of it, and then the people that were were hurt or sick, you know, we they could lay down there mm-hmm. on that because anybody that was hurt very badly at all never made it because. I think there was, well, they said there was 80-something. I don't know if 50 got off of it. You're not that much people. Because mm-hmm. people, well, you know, some of them guys that come out of the fire room were burnt, you know, and a lot of people were hurt with shrapnel and stuff, you know. And you, you had shrapnel in you at that point, or? Well, I, I, I had... My hand got tore up a little bit, and my I had a puncture hole in my leg, you know. But and it was both of them may have just come from sharp steel, you know, ragged. I don't know where they came from. In fact, you, I can't I can't even find the scar anymore. That was a good good uh, corpsman put that together because he he did, they didn't stitch it up. He used what they call butterfly. Bandage. Yeah, I put it together with that. But that was that was after we we got picked up. They picked us up with, with helicopters, with boats. With no, the no, they, they was out there with the LCIs. You know, just a little. With the LCIs. Well, they're all landing craft. It's mm-hmm. probably I don't know, fifty to hundred feet long. They're not very big, you know. Mm-hmm. But one thing that was pretty interesting, we'd been in the water all that time, you know, and we they, these ships, they had, they, in fact, they, I think they said they started picking up people, but they quit until they got themselves organized because you 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 were you couldn't do anything, you know. Let's see, I got a book over there. I think I'll, I'll dig it out a little bit. The, the book is The Last Stand of the Tin Can Sailors. Have you seen that book? Yeah, I read that. Have you seen the cover? Mm-hmm. Them guys, that's what they had to do because I remember, you know, they dragged me on board here and then I, I couldn't stand up or not. And I just crawled on my hands and knees over alongside the deck house and sat down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like this, you know, because you, you, you were all in. Mm-hmm. You, you'd had it. That was Erling Husvik discussing his time aboard the USS Hull. 
during World War II. This has been Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library.